Hello, welcome to Cinemaniac Jack. I'm your host, Jack. Today's guest co-host is Toria. Hi, Toria. Hello. So basically the gist of this show is that we talk about films that I love based on whatever the topic of the episode is. And in the first half of the show, I talk to my guest about whatever the topic is. So today's topic is a film that made you feel happy. And the film I chose is Cool Runnings. Uh, but first, Toria is going to tell us the films that made her happy. Well, thank you for having me back on, Jack. It makes me happy just to be on the show with you. So thank you. <laughs> no problem. So I started writing a list of movies that make me happy. Mm-hmm. And I noticed a little bit of a theme in like the first couple of movies that came to my mind. Oh, yeah. And the theme was movies that aren't musicals, but are about bands or musicians and have really good pop music in them Mm -hmm. so the first movie that came to mind when i think about a film that makes me happy is that thing you do Mm -hmm. i can't remember if i've talked about that thing you do on a previous episode i don't think so yeah i don't think so it's one of my favorite movies it's one of our family's collective favorite movies and when i think about a movie that makes me happy specifically the scene that comes to mind from that thing you do which if anyone has not seen it, you should watch it. It's about a band in the 1960s um, that that kind of has a, a one big hit. Uh, they're they're kind of like an American Beatles type band that rises, you know, like after the Beatles have really come to stardom. And anyway, they're from this small town in Pennsylvania. They're from Erie, PA, as Lenny says. And the the scene when they first hear their song on the radio, to me, is just, like, pure joy in a movie. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, Guy Patterson, who's, like, the main character of the movie, is working in his family's little appliance shop. And uh, Liv Tyler's character, Faye, who is dating the, the lead singer, of the band jimmy uh say here's the song on the radio she starts freaking out she grabs the bass player who she sees in town they go running to the appliance shop they're just screaming at guy like it's on the radio your song's on the radio he starts turning it on like turning on all of the radios to play the song and then this car comes screeching to a halt in front of the shop stops in the middle of the road the doors fly open it's jimmy and their other guitarist, Lenny, and they run out of the car, leaving it in the middle of the street. They run into the shop and they all just start jumping and dancing and singing. And they're like in so much shock and they're so joyful. And they literally hold hands and jump around in a circle. <laughs> and of course, the song that they're singing is That Thing You Do, written by the late, great Adam Schlesinger from the band Fountains of Wayne. It's a perfect pop song, in my opinion, mm-hmm. and a beautiful cinematic moment of pure joy um and that whole movie i mean i think for me like the recipe of having comedy and a movie that's also heartfelt that has great music and also friendship is a recipe for for it to be a movie that makes me happy Mm -hmm. and so similarly i also thought of the beatles a hard day's night yeah Um, Well, that film also borrows a lot from A Hard Day's Night, a little bit. And that was one of your favorite movies 
like when you were a little kid, yeah. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, obviously the Beatles, it's a fictionalized um, kind of day in the life of the Beatles. Is it one day? Yeah, it is, right? I think they, it like, is, They, like, have a big show that night. And um, when I think about that movie, I think of the scene where they are singing Can't Buy Me Love. Or, like, Can't Buy Me Love is playing and they are just frolicking in a field and being really silly and like jumping and rolling around in the field and um and then like the caretaker of the field at the end of the scene comes up and yells at them and george says sorry we hurt your field mister (laughs) and again it's just like great music it's funny there's like just so much friendship and it's so like lively and energetic um so that movie makes me really happy. I don't know if there's anything you want to say about either of those. Yeah, well, I mean, though, it's just funny you should mention those two so far, because those are also movies that make me really happy. And the funny thing about A Hard Day's Night is that, like, I think it, it was either the director or the screenwriter who did the movie. Basically, what he wanted to do was, like, he, like they, he followed them like, the Beatles, like, for a day. So, like, a lot of the stuff that they say and do in the movie actually, like, happened in real life. Mm. So that also just makes it more interesting. Um, But, yeah, it's hard not to, like, have a smile on your face. I think another thing that what can make people feel happy when they watch a movie is, like, a sense of nostalgia, obviously. Mm. And both those movies... Uh, right off the bat, are, like, very nostalgic and capture a period in time. Um, I mean, obviously, in reality, it wasn't perfect, but, like, it... A, a sort of happy-go-lucky side to to that time period. Right. Um, and, and there's something nostalgic, I think, about... Like, there's something very youthful about the movies, because it's, like, capturing these people in, you know, like, in yeah for the Beatles and for the fictional band of the wonders they're like in their 20s and they're kind of just I mean you know with the wonders it shows them you know spoiler alert eventually kind of dissolve yeah but it also shows like the joy of being like up and coming or early on in this kind of peak um and, and just being really young and being friends and being silly and mischievous. Like, there's a lot yeah. of mischief that's, like, really fun. Like, just little jokes that the Beatles make. And then yeah. kind of, like, misbehaving and doing things they shouldn't do. Like, yeah. they're just kind of, like, the the young lads, you yeah. know. And, um, and the film itself kind of... it, it, it the, the film itself is very much like that. Where it's, like, it doesn't, like it doesn't follow like a real story per se. It's just like, it, it it's just, it's told through like feeling of like, okay, maybe we want to go here. Or maybe we want to go here or do this because we just feel mm-hmm. like it and we're happy and we're having a good time and stuff, you know? Yeah. And I'm sure there's so many other things that were going on already and darker things, but in yeah. this movie, it captures that aspect of their playfulness their friendship and then the great music like there's just something about how people come alive when they're really creative when they're connected to something amazing that humans can do i mean we'll talk about this more with cool runnings later but i also Mm -hmm. just think seeing humans do something that is like 
they're just so alive and like connected like with music it's just like i don't know you know the movie um this movie also makes me happy actually music and uh music and lyrics with Mm -hmm. hugh grant and drew barrymore Mm -hmm. hugh grant says to her so hugh grant is trying to get drew barrymore to write a song with him he is a washed up pop artist and songwriter kind of like he's supposed to be kind of like um the band that he was in or the duo was kind of like a wham type eighties duo. Mm -hmm. And he's trying to write a pop song for this, this big star. And he kind of, he has a chance meeting with Drew Barrymore, who is someone who got her MFA in writing, I think. And then um, she suffers from a lot of self doubt, but he thinks she's a good writer. And, but she of course is kind of this like, Oh, I write poetry. I write fiction. Like I don't write pop music. And she says something I think that's kind of dismissive about pop music. And he says, I dare you to, he says something like, tell me something that makes you feel as good, as fast as I've got sunshine on a cloudy day. And um, he's just saying like, that's what pop music can do. It just can make you feel so good. Yeah. Um, And I think that's true. Yeah. And then, so, you know, similarly, I also think of School of Rock, which kind Mm -hmm. of falls into that category. One great rock song can change the world. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, again, there's a lot of comedy. There's a great song, like in That Thing You Do, that like really is so key to the movie. Like those songs have to be so good, and luckily they are. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also in that one kind of like the underdog, again, a theme that we'll talk about with Cool Runnings, but in School of Rock, you know, Jack Black is this... Uh, he's posing as a teacher. He's not really a teacher. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He starts substitute teaching, uh, this, these prep school kids who are in like fifth or sixth grade or something. I think they're supposed to be like 11 and he is just posing as a substitute teacher. Um, he actually was just kicked out of his band, his rock band. He's really depressed. He needs some money. He realizes these kids are really good musicians. And so he decides to try to form a rock band and win a battle of the bands competition with them. But the the fun thing about this movie, too, is also how, like, all of these kids are kind of like a collection of misfits. And, like, they're kind of awkward. They're very unsure of themselves. They've grown up super stifled in this prep school environment Mm -hmm. where they're just kind of very obedient and they don't really get to express themselves or be creative or quirky or explore different parts of themselves. So And they don't really know what they want either. What's that? Like, they don't even really know what they want in life either. Yeah, they don't even really know because they just, they're very young and they haven't really been able to explore. And they're like, it's very somber at first. Mm -hmm. Like, they're so quiet. They're so unsure. And some of them don't care. Like, the kid, Freddie, he's just like, when he asks him, he's like, what do you like to do? And he's like, I don't know, burn stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 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 And, you know, one of the scenes I actually really love from that movie, and it's been a long time since I've watched it, but um, one of the students, Tamika, is this fantastic singer. And but at one point she she goes to Jack Black's character and she's like, I don't want to sing in the band. And he's like, why not? And she says, because I'm fat. Mm -hmm. And I remember as a kid when I watched it. I was so surprised by his response because I expected based on everything I had seen in, in media up till that point, Mm -hmm. I thought, Oh, he's either going to say, no, you're not fat. Or he's going to say like, well, you could go on a diet. (laughs) And instead he says to her, you have an amazing voice. 
Think about Aretha Franklin. She's a big lady and everyone wants to party with Aretha. (laughs) And he says like, and what about me? You know, when I go on stage, people worship me because I'm chubby and And I'm sexy. sexy. (laughs) And she's like, why don't you go on a diet? And he's like, because I like to eat. Is that a crime? (laughs) And so like the, I think in that movie, just like the idea of accepting yourself and also seeing that things that people have told you are wrong or not okay are actually part of what makes you beautiful and um, and just that you are okay, you are enough. Again, something that comes up in Cool Runnings. But um, I really appreciated that scene as a kid because I was like, oh, wow, that's like a different take than I would have expected. And there are a lot of moments of like kind of pep talks like that in that. So, yeah i mean yeah, yeah it's, it's funny that you should bring that scene up because when i when i was a little kid i kind of had like like a little i was a little bit insecure about the way i looked and so like when i saw that scene with jack black like giving her that talk i felt like he was talking to me too and it just yeah. made me feel so good and also and jack black is just such a great like funny like guy like you wish like you had a like, you had Jack Black in your life, like, telling you, like, how awesome you are and stuff. Yeah. And, yeah, I don't know. And I love how, like, the kids that they cast were, they weren't, like, super polished child actors. Like, I think they actually just found, like, really, the like, kids who were really good musicians, really good singers, things like that. And the acting was, like, a little bit secondary. But I kind of love that about the movie because they are a little bit awkward as kids that age would be an R, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and and I kind of love that about it. And I love that he doesn't, I don't know, they don't like gloss over the quirks, the quirks and things that people have. It's more about like kind of embracing and accepting and then being really alive when you're connected to something that makes you feel alive and also more connected to other people. Like that scene where they finally do their show mm-hmm. and they play their song and it's just like, I mean, there's literally a line in the song that's like, I am alive. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, I think that's part of all those movies, too, is there's a sense of aliveness that um, can make you feel feel really joyful. Yeah. I feel like uh, that was a whole theme of, like, movies that make me happy are movies about bands that have pop music in them. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Um Uh, So today we're talking about Cool Runnings. So Cool Runnings is a comedy sports film released on October 1st, 1993. It was directed by John Turtletob. The story was written by Lynn Seifer and Michael Ritchie. The screenplay was written by Lynn Seifer, Tom Swerdlow, and Michael Goldberg. Uh, It was loosely based on the true story of the first Jamaican bobsled team competing in the 1988 Winter Olympics. Uh, the score was done by Hans Zimmer. It stars Leon Robinson, Doug E. Doug, Raul D. Lewis, Malik Yoba, and John Candy. Um, the film is about a Jamaican sprinter named Adrice Bannock, played by Leon Robinson, who hopes to qualify for the Summer Olympics. Unfortunately, during the race, he trips over one of the contestants, Junior Bevel, played by Raul D. Lewis, thus making him unable to compete in the Olympics. Darice begs the president of the Jamaica Olympic Association, uh, played by Winston Stona, for a rematch, but the president tells him he cannot. While in the office, Darice spots a picture of his dad next to a companion Olympic gold medal winner. 
the president tells him that the man is Irv Blitzer, played by John Candy, a disgraced Bob's letter. Darius sees this as an opportunity to once again try and join the Olympics and recruits his friend Sanka Coffee, played by Doug E. Doug. At first reluctant, the two convince Irv to be their coach and end up recruiting Junior and Yul Brenner, played by Malik Yoba, as well. Um, along the way, they experience mockery, being outcasts, newfound friendship, and what it really means to be, to be part of the Olympics. Um, so this is one of those movies that we grew up watching in our house. Yeah. And I don't know how we came to watch it. I'm assuming mom and dad found out about it somehow. Um, do you Do you know how... Like, they found out about it? Or? I think it was very popular when it came out in 93. Um, so I'm sure, I think it was just popular, and, you know, they probably were going through Blockbuster or whatever and <laughs> picked yeah. it up. Um, I know that we've been watching this movie for a long time because one of my earliest memories is actually us watching this movie. Mm. Um, so, yeah, and, um, and this is one of those movies... Um, I remember we watched where we would just laugh, like, so hard. Yeah. Um, a, a lot, uh, mainly, I think, with uh, Sanka. Sanka, yeah. And, uh, like, I was, <laughs> like, uh, the one part that we, all, I think we always used to rewind was um, the part where, like, he's in that um, that ice cream truck, and he's, like, he has all, like, this, um, like, f- like, frost all over him, and he, like... <laughs> A piece of his hair comes off. Also, when he, they crash, and well, or like he has to pee, and and uh, Irv, the coach, is like, "You gotta hold it." And he's like, "I can't hold it." And then they go down the chute and they crash. And Doris is like, "You could pee now. Pee, you could pee now." And he's like, "Oh, um, too late." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That was another I one that we that laughed was so the hard at. Funniest thing when I was a little kid. Yeah, same. Um, I loved Sanka Coffee so much. Yeah, I mean, I guess like he's one of those characters that like I guess audiences could either like really hate or like really love. But I don't know. Like I always just loved him and thought he was really funny. And another line that he says that cracks me up, and it was so fun. It was so funny to like remember this line when I was watching it again, where he's. He's doing the derby race, and he just screams out, I love Jamaica, and Jamaica <laughs> loves me! <laughs> yes. Oh, like, pretty much everything he says is so funny, and his delivery is so funny, and he he has the most, like, physical comedy, like, even when they get to Calgary, and he ends up just putting on every article of clothing he has, and then also, like, getting inside of the bag that he packed to bring all his stuff in so he like zips the bag around himself and just yeah. like all you can see is like his little feet at the bottom and his little face poking out um yeah i mean i always felt as a as a little kid too like i felt like i had this very wacky side of me like i definitely had this little jokester trickster wacky side of me and i just felt a kinship to sanka like because i yeah. always just wanted to make people laugh I remember a short period as a young kid where I thought maybe I wanted to be a stand-up comedian. And I just remember feeling a certain kinship to him being like this, the wacky one, the silly one, the one who's always making everyone laugh. Yeah. And I didn't realize until 
when I rewatched it recently and I was reading more about the movie, I didn't realize that the actor Dougie Doug is all is a stand up comedian, which uh, makes a lot of sense because yeah. he's so funny. Um, yeah, and I feel like his character is just kind of like the glue that kind of holds the movie together. Yeah. In a way, because it's like it's great to have him there, like when all this like terrible stuff is like happening to them. Mm-hmm. So like just to have him there just kind of makes the situation just a, just a little bit more better because like he partly just doesn't even like really care about like what other people think of him. <laughs> like I think like when they like when they first get to the um, uh, what do you call it? Like the, the Olympics, pl- like, like the tryouts, like the tryouts or whatever. And all the con- uh, all the other contestants just look at them like in dead silence. And he just goes, oh, this is good. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know. Well, and also, I think that it makes it that much more powerful when he does have a serious reaction. Like, he's the one who gets through to Doris at the end, not to jump ahead too far, but he's mm-hmm. the one who's like, "I, you know, we have to do this as ourselves and not try to be someone that we're not. I also do love that part of his humor is, um, like, when he's when he's doing the derby with, like, the little kids and he's making them do a chant about him. And then he just gets very, <laughs> like, like, he gets very, um, what's the word? Like, almost scolding with yeah. them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. In a serious way. I, yeah. can't, I can't do it, but um, it's just really funny when he gets, like, very quickly, like, like kind of annoyed or... Uh, cranky about something. Yeah, I don't remember like what he says at that part, but he says something like, "Get back to work." He's like, he's like, hey, you know what else you guys do? Get back to work." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he's also like, he's very much kind of the archetype of like the the extremely loyal best friend. Like yeah. when Doris comes to him and is like, "Please do this for me," and I mean, he does have to like you know bust on him a little bit when he's like, "All you have to do is ask," you know. You know, he tells Doris, like, just just ask me like this. And Doris asks him exactly like that. And he's like, no. And then he's like, never mind, I'll do it. You know, I'll do anything for you. Yeah. Um, so he's definitely also kind of like the quintessential, super loyal best friend, like the Samwise Gamgee to his Frodo, who's like, I'm, I'll be there with you. And he really helps him through and helps him get his head on straight. So now I will also say that I was curious to look into some – you know, like how how has the movie held up? What are some critiques? Because I'm I'm sure, yeah. I, I was sure I would be able to learn some stuff from critiques based on you know like race. And I did read some very interesting um, critiques of you know kind of the stereotypes that are used and how yeah. Sanka Coffee himself is kind of like a walking stereotype of a mm. Jamaican person um, and how the the picture of Jamaica is a very kind of stereotypical picture of, oh, everyone's laughing and joking and playing music and, you know. Um, and so, I, you know, I was trying to kind of keep, keep that critical eye while also still really appreciating all the things that I love about it. I feel like that can be a tricky thing with any, any art, anything that we love to also be open to, okay, like, what are some of the things about this that are, that could have been better, that might be in some way problematic. Um, yeah. So there are some interesting critiques out there about that as well. Yeah, that was one of the, the things that I was, like, 
like when I sat down and watched this movie, like it didn't even really occur to me. But then as I was watching and I was like, oh, but like, what if it like, it's a little like dated as far as like stereotypes go. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I was like, oh, this is like a movie from the early nineties right. about black people. So. And it's interesting, like, I read a critique, and I wish I could remember now. I I kind of read a couple things, so I wish I could remember who said it, but I can't. Um, but they kind of, they noted how, you know, it's it's mostly couched as, like, a nationalist thing. Like, oh, they're Jamaican, they're Jamaican. Um, and it's, I think there's only, like, one time where, um, you know, John Candy's character, Irv, says something like, oh, does the just seeing some black guys like make you nervous or something like that yeah so they often kind of catch it as like oh they're different because of their nationality as opposed to like going into the race aspect of it as well um yeah and interestingly like in real life i mean we know racism is very real and i i would be interested to learn more about things they might have um experienced in terms of if they experience like you know or, you know, what types of racism they may have experienced. But I did also read that they weren't really shunned at the Olympics in the way that they ha- that they were portrayed to be shunned in the movie. That actually yeah, people, I read, I read that they were too. popular and people wanted to help them. <laughs> yeah. I, I think I read that, like, somebody, like, one of the contestants, like, let them, like, borrow a sled or something. I think it was the USA team, like, lent them one of their mm-hmm. practice sleds. Yeah. Um... I was also really surprised to see that Hans Zimmer did the score for this movie. Me too. Yeah, I wasn't Me sure too. if you knew who Hans Zimmer was or not. Yeah. Um, Hans Zimmer obviously being the guy who, like, does the score for a lot of Christopher Nolan films. Dark Knight being the most popular one, obviously. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like, I, I couldn't believe it. I was like, because it it's so left field. Like, like Dark Knight and then Cool Runnings, like, like... total opposites and and the score itself doesn't really sound like what we've come to know to know with Hans Zimmer too Mm -hmm. either I don't know and some of the other songs that are in the film I think also can contribute to the mood and to my memories of it like that song Rise Above It like there are just some really good songs in there that are also you know completely inseparable in my mind from the whole film and really they're they're you know really great and yeah that scene memory as well yeah that scene makes me makes me really happy just it's like the song and then like just like what they're doing Mm -hmm. during that montage and the fact that like it also kind of shows them like getting like closer like as friends like irv starts to get a little bit more like out of his like uh grouchiness uh, grouchiness a little bit yeah. It, is that the scene? Because I'm trying to remember now. When that song Rise Above It is playing, and it might come in the movie more than once, but is that the scene when, you know, they're in Calgary, they kind of blow it at one point, Irv is really mad, and then they wake him up really early the next morning. This was another thing that cracked me up as a kid when they're like, rise and shine, it's butt-whipping time. Yeah. And then they're like, you know, they kind of have that montage of them like running and working out, and, and there's that part where Irv... Um, is getting ready to throw snowballs at them and then mm-hmm. they pound him with snowballs. Yeah. Like, it's so cute. And I, I think that that's something that kind of, you know, the, the, the movies that I love that are about like bands, um, 
that camaraderie that people have and like the friendship that they can develop, the connection and bond that they can have, I think makes us happy because it's just like what we were put on this planet for. Like that's what makes us really happy is connecting with other people and seeing characters, especially like Irv and then like Yul Brenner, who was so angry in the beginning and like hated Junior and wanted to kill him because mm-hmm. Junior is the one who tripped him and you know, cost him getting into the Olympics for running, um, watching Irv and Ewell Brenner, like, thaw and actually develop affection and love for the teammates is very heartwarming. Yeah. And it, it's really fascinating, too, because... Um, and, like, Junior is another really, like, interesting character because, like, despite Ewell hating him, like he sticks like junior sticks up for him yeah. to, to Sanka. And I had to like, I had to quote this. He says the more Yule Brenners we got making it in this world, the better off this world would be, especially for Jamaicans. Yeah. And it's just, it's so like crazy. Cause like anybody else, like in that situation would just be like, you know, fuck him if he doesn't like me, but he doesn't, he doesn't care. He sticks up for him anyway. And I just, when I saw it this time around, I, I just found that very fascinating. And it's really beautiful because then, because he sticks up for Yule, but he has a really hard time sticking up for himself. And then Yule kind of teaches and encourages him to stick up for himself. So it becomes this really beautiful give and take relationship of like, wow, like, you know, Junior had that in him to do for someone else because I think he, we see him as a character who who is, like, very giving and cares about people. You know, like, he wants to please his father and be, you know, be a good son. He also wants to be a good teammate. He sells his car to so that they can go to the Olympics. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, and then he, he speaks up for, um, he stands up for Yule to Sanka, which when we think about, like, Harry Potter, the idea of it's easy, it's hard to stand up to your enemies, but even harder to stand up to your friends I mean, you know, that's also kind of because I remember as a kid that scene gutted me as a kid. Like I was so I felt so terrible for Yule, like when he's so he's clearly so embarrassed and humiliated. And as much as I loved Sanka, I was like and as funny as his takedown is of him, because it's very funny. It's also so like I was just as a kid my little sensitive heart was like oh poor you yeah. like the way he looks at that photo of buckingham palace yeah well it's interesting like how it switches too because at the beginning of that scene like you almost kind of like you almost kind of root for sanka to kind of like yeah. give it to uh yule because he's just kind of being a jerk yeah at that part but then like it like you it switches completely after he finds out that the picture is uh the palace and so uh yeah it's it's yeah it's interesting yeah i really loved watching it this time i did really appreciate kind of that growing up story for junior of like telling his father i'm a man you know and like Mm -hmm. the way that you will really helped him with that um and the friendship that they develop over time Mm -hmm. yeah i i really appreciated that yeah um, so as far as John Candy goes, like, mm-hmm. we were robbed, man. Like, we really were. Like, 
he's just like phenomenal in this movie i know and you know what struck me watching it now because it's been a really long time actually since i've watched it I remember thinking of him as much older when I was a kid Mm -hmm. and watching it this time, I'm looking at his face and I was like, he's so young. Like he was so young. I knew he died young, but I didn't even remember how young, like he was 44 or something like that. Um, And in this movie, like I was like, this is not, yeah. Like this, he was so young. And yeah, I mean the, the mixture of humor with heart, you know, some of the speeches that he, that he gives, um he does really well like when he's especially when he's talking to you know like the 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 suits or whoever you know the powerful guys that are trying to take them down yeah um yeah and it was the last movie to come out of his while he was still alive too Mm. um and it it was kind of a different role for him i think I mean, I haven't really, like, seen too many of his films, but, like, all the other ones that I've seen, like, whether it be, like, Uncle Buck or uh, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, mm-hmm. he always plays, like, the kind of, like... Lovable. Lovable, like, happy-go-lucky kind of character. Yeah. And here he plays, like, a really, like, miserly kind of part. Yeah. So it's it's interesting, but it also kind of shows, like, how good of an actor he was where he could do both. Like, he could be, like, that happy-go-lucky, almost kind of Jack blackish kind of character to being like uh somebody who's almost unlikable and really miserable too Mm. um and i don't know yeah he was just a great actor and um one of the things that he says in this movie that i love he says uh, your bones will not break in a bobsled. No, no, no. They shatter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When he shows all of the the people who have gathered for, who are interested in potentially joining the team, and he just terrifies them with his slideshow of video of crashes and, mm-hmm. yeah, telling them their bones are going to shatter. Um it's interesting that you compare him to Jack Black because it is, I hadn't thought about it, but that, that is another similarity of like this crouchy guy who's past his prime kind of, mm-hmm. who kind of is trying to get this ragtag team yeah. <laughs> somewhere great. The difference being that Jack Black is really trying to use them as his ticket to fulfill his dreams. Whereas Irv fulfilled his dreams a long time ago uh, it all went to his head and he doesn't want, he's a very reluctant, he's reluctantly trying to get this, this team together. And, you know, I did also read in, in some of the critiques, you know, people talked about the white savior trope, of yeah. like, oh, they have this white guy. Um, however, Doris is really, I mean, literally and figuratively like the driver of the whole thing like he is the one who is determined to get to the olympics who sees the photo of his father and irv and learns the story of how irv had the idea of using um uh had the idea for jamaican you know runners to create a bobsled team for jamaica um and he is so persistent with irv even when irv is like telling him over and over and over, I'm not interested. I'm not going to do it. You know, like mm-hmm. he, he really is the driver. Um, and it's his like determination that gets them there. 
in the end, there is a little bit of the reverse stereotype or trope of, you know, when Irv is kind of like, thank you to him at the end, you know, like they kind of saved Irv. That is another kind of trope that comes up sometimes in terms of like racial dynamics in stories of like, oh, you saved me, the white person. So, yeah. So I guess it goes both ways, I guess. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I just found all that very interesting, the the different analysis. Um, but I also, I did really appreciate thinking about Doris and his determination. I mean, he's really like the main character, but we haven't even really talked about him yet. But yeah, I, I always just really, also as a kid, when I think back to watching it, I just, I just loved him. And I just wanted so much for him because he was so... I don't know there's something very pure hearted about him and he just also seems to have a lot of integrity and mm-hmm. obviously drive and talent and all those things but um yeah you just want him to succeed yeah you know and i think there's something about him too that is very relatable like like even yeah. if you don't like you don't want to necessarily be like a sprinter yourself like you understand like where he's coming from yeah. You know, like, we've all well, felt has, that way at some point about ourselves or, like, what we want to do. So you really feel what he's going through after he um, loses the race. Yes, it's so devastating when he gets tripped. And it's, it's funny, like, in terms of kind of the relatability aspect, I love in the beginning, like, right before he's going to the race and his, I don't know if she's his wife or his girlfriend, but she asks him, are you nervous? And he, like, gives her this whole speech about, like, I'm ready, I'm ready, blah, blah, blah. And then she's like, are you nervous? And he's like, I'm terrified. <laughs> and I love, that part was so endearing to me. Because they could have easily ended the scene on him just being intensely like, I was born for this, you know, I'm mm-hmm. ready. But I loved that that part where he finally, and they, like, laugh, you know. He's mm-hmm. like, I'm terrified. And they both laugh. But he also, you know, has the legacy of his father. And I find that to be an interesting, an interesting part of the movie is like, you know, clearly he's even faster than his father now. So Mm -hmm. because Herb is like, your dad could run, I don't remember how many meters in under 10 flat or in 10 flat. And he's like, I run it in nine. Mm -hmm. So like he's literally kind of running in the footsteps of his father He's trying to, I think, you know, you get the idea that he says, it's my turn. You know, he keeps saying, like, it's my turn now. So I Mm -hmm. feel this sense that he's been in his father's shadow and he wants to show that he can he can do what his father did. And interestingly, when he gets tripped and his plans are totally shifted, there's an opportunity for him to be kind of like um, just like Junior is kind of getting out of the shadow of his father, there's an opportunity for Jerice as well. Yeah. And the funny thing too, is that like, like when he decides to do this, like he doesn't even know anything about bobsledding. And he even asks the guy, he's like, you know, what's a bobsled, you know? But it's like, it doesn't like, he, he kind of has this kind of optimism to him where he's just kind of like, like, I don't care. Like, I'll just do whatever it takes for me to succeed. Yeah. Um, and I guess there must be something about him that rubs it off on other people because he's even able to convince Irv to come out yeah. of his rut and help them. So, um, yeah, you know. And there's a seriousness to what he's doing as well because, you know, when Irv 
when uh when sunk is like i want to be the driver right and mm-hmm. and irv is explaining like okay well the driver has to you know stay up stay up late whenever when when the other teammates are goofing off having a beer he needs to be studying the turns and and like ultimately he says the driver is responsible for the lives of his teammates mm-hmm. like that's that hit me a lot harder this time than when i watched it as a kid because as a kid i'm like this is a disney movie they're mm-hmm. gonna be fine yeah. as an adult the idea of like you are literally like this is a dangerous sport and you are literally responsible for your friends lives i was like oh dang that those are some yeah higher stakes than i even realized as a kid yeah well it's, it's funny you should say that because even when i was a kid at one point it actually it did occur to me and i was like i was like wait a minute because I just thought, like, oh, they just, you know, they just go in a straight line. But it's like, but if they don't know what turn that they're going to make, they're just going to mm. crash and, like, die. Mm. And that was just like, wow, that's actually really scary. It's like, yeah. this is actually a really scary sport. So, Yeah, because even when when Irv does show them, like, those images, those videos of people crashing, like, there's kind of silly music playing. And I don't know, it, it, it maybe because it's a Disney movie, like... Even though he's saying your bones are going to shatter, it's kind of all told in a comedic way. Mm-hmm. Um, so it hit me differently when he he kind of gives this steer. He's looking, you know, Irv is like looking at Doris like dead in the eye when he's saying this whole thing to Sanka, mm-hmm. but you know he's really talking yeah. to Doris. Mm-hmm. Um, I also wanted to bring up. Uh, I just I love the transition from the plane leaving Jamaica to when it's entering Calgary. Mm. Like, I don't know, like, it's just, it's very clever how, like, you know, they have, like, the stereotypical kind of, uh, I don't know, like, Jamaican music, and then when they get to Calgary, it starts playing, like, country music, and you see the snow and all that stuff, and of course, it just, the scene just gets funnier when, uh, Irv says, uh, what's the matter, you guys cold? It's not so much the heat, it's the humidity that'll kill you. And then I remember that being dad's like favorite joke. Yeah. It's such a dad joke, I think. Yeah. Um yeah, I always think of dad when he says that. And then after they get into the bus or whatever, the sign says temperature negative 25. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh gosh. Those poor guys. Yeah. I mean, of course, that that just, like, adds to the, to the comedy of it all, because, like, I'm assuming that these guys have never even left, you know, the island, so yeah. they're just completely new to this kind of environment. And it's also, like, I really appreciate about them the fact that they're adventurous enough to want to do it, and even though, like, I mean, it is very funny when they go to the bar and Senka is like square dancing and he's like wearing a cowboy hat and stuff yeah (laughs) um but like i like that about senka that he's just kind of like jumping in and like ready to i mean he doesn't like the cold but um he's jumping into it and just like having a good time yeah he just like goes with like whatever environment he's in Mm -hmm. um I think another really great oh yeah and like i love to like like he'll just be there like because like when they start fighting with those guys like he just he doesn't even question what's going on he just jumps yeah, in he and starts fighting in. with them like so he'll just do whatever it takes to like stick up for his friends yeah and um yeah 
Yeah, I know. I love that. He's very loyal. And I love when he's like, excuse me, pretty lady. Yeah. <laughs> to the woman that he was like dancing next to. I also think another really great scene is when uh, Doris watches the Swiss team for the first time. Mm-hmm. Where it's kind of like, he's just kind of like, he's just watching on the sidelines or whatever. And like the whole scene is like in slow motion. And but yeah. I don't know, there's just something very like breathtaking about that. Yeah, it's so I feel like even the the shots themselves are so kind of crisp and it's like it's nighttime. Um, They're in their sleek sled and their sleek uniforms. They're they're patting each other's helmets. And like you can almost feel how cold it is. Like there's something about that's so kind of like sleek and quiet and crisp that you can like feel. You can feel the breath hovering in the air in front of you in that scene. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, he just, but it's also just interesting to see him kind of, like, have, like, his, like, fanboy kind of Mm -hmm. moment at that part as well. Yeah. Yeah. He has a great admiration for, I mean, I think, I think, yeah, just, I kind of mentioned this before with the, the films about musicians, but just seeing what humans can do, like, you know, we see the worst of humans a lot, but humans at their best are incredible. Like the fact that he can run that fast, the fact that the Swiss can have such control over their sled, the mm-hmm. the fact that the Beatles can write songs like that. Like there's something, I don't know, just really uplifting about and just really mesmerizing about watching humans like just do things that, especially also if, if, like I have no athletic prowess, so yeah. you know, uh, it's extra incredible. But I think for him, also just kind of as an athlete himself, like knowing what it takes and having he clearly just has such a such a value for like pushing himself to the limit and being the best and being excellent. So he's just like mesmerized by them, and I get it because I'm I'm mesmerized by by that too. Mm-hmm. I also think that um, John Candy's the John Candy's speech to the board members is probably I don't know if it's the it's the best scene of the movie, but it's definitely one of the best scenes. And I think that actually might be uh, that might be the best scene that he's ever done. I think mm. it's either that or the speech that he makes to Steve Martin in Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Yeah. It comes very close for me. But I don't know, just something about that scene, it's very, like, um, like, you you really feel for him in that scene, not just because, like, um, you know, he's sticking up for his team, but also just because, like, you, it's, like, the first time he kind of, uh, expresses his, uh, guilt in more detail yeah. to the person that he let down. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And just to see him, like, kind of just stick it to those, like, snuffy yeah. board members is just great, too. Yeah, um, it's, like, it's it's such a tough moment when one of his former teammates is talking to Doris and tells him about how Irv cheated, and, like, Doris didn't know that. And to yeah. him, like, you can kind of see... He's like, he's very loyal too, because he's just like, whatever, it's not a big deal. 
and you know he doesn't think it's not a big deal but he's just trying to stick up for Irv I think but also yeah. there's like you see him just go like I don't you know he's had Irv a little bit on a pedestal I think because yeah. Irv achieved what he always wanted to which was actually more than one gold medal and it's kind of this veil falling off of Doris's eyes about Irv. Obviously, he knew Irv wasn't like a sweet little angel. He's a cranky mm. guy, but he yeah. didn't know that he had cheated. And yeah, I think you're right. I think that scene where Irv is kind of like atoning and and saying, you know, don't punish them, punish me. Um, yeah, but, I mean, like just going there alone just had to take a lot from him because he was, you know, he he says like he humiliated himself and his team and his yeah. country and all of that. So he must really believe in them, you know? Yeah. And it's also really heartbreaking too to like, like when he first gets there and he sees uh, uh, his, his um, yeah, like his past teammates and his coach for the first time and, the coach doesn't even say anything to him. He just walks away. And then the other guy is yeah. like, How, wow, or what the hell did you do to yourself? I know. It's just like, ugh. I know. It's so uh, awful. Yeah. And I always feel, I don't know. I always feel for actors in those moments. Like, I don't know if that sounds funny, but like the, like John Candy himself, like playing the character and someone saying, what'd you do to yourself? Like they're making a comment on him and his body, you know? And yeah. like, I always just wonder, like, I understand that it's a story, but I, I do always just wonder like what that's like for the actor. And it's kind of funny because I remember watching the 2005 adaptation of Pride and Prejudice with the director's commentary. And he said he felt really bad casting, um, one of the actresses as, um, the main character, Elizabeth Bennett's best friend, who's supposed to be like very plain and no one wants to marry her. And he was like, oh, I just really hated that because like, you know, I think she's a beautiful woman and I, I hated, you know, that she's playing, that she has to play herself as though she's like unlovable. And I said, I, I can't remember exactly what he said, mm-hmm. but the fact that the director actually was thinking about how that affected the actor, I just always found really interesting because it's something that I think about a lot when I'm watching a movie and someone's looks are being commented on or, or denigrated in the movie. Cause that's the thing yeah. that is exactly the same about the actor and the character. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, not exactly mm-hmm. the same people could be, people could have prosthetics or, you know, all sorts of wigs, makeup, whatever. But in this case, like that was just him. So, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I always wonder that too. Like, cause like, yeah, like we know it's acting and stuff, but I mean, like, there, there is a grain of, like, truth to it. So it, it kind of makes it a little bit more awkward, I guess. Yeah. Um, I just, and I just, just knowing what we know about how certain people suffered. Like, I think about Chris Farley and, like, how much he suffered with uh, struggling with his body image and appearance. And mm-hmm. even though he was this funny guy, like, you know. And I know that John Candy had a lot of addiction issues and stuff like that, too. I have no idea if or I actually did read it because I was curious about him. And I, I was reading that he like lost a ton of weight at one point. And I don't know. It's just interesting thinking back on that School of Rock scene, too. Like, I think we've come a long way also in how we are trying to um, talk about people's 
bodies and weight and um, combating fat phobia and things like that. So, yeah, that just moment just made me sad as a person. Like, yeah, that anyone would say that, that he had to even even in, in the acting have to, like, experience that. Yeah. Um, and it just, like, that ending, like, it gets me, like, every Ugh. time. Um, oh, yes. Like, it is, a, like, it is a little, like, corny and stuff, but I don't know, it just... But I don't care. Sign me up. Yeah. <laughs> and just, like, that look that John Candy gives yeah. uh, to Doris at that part, and then he just, like, hugs him. It's just, like, oh, man. And you know what I didn't realize? Like, I I don't know. This might this is kind of funny. But as a kid watching it, I, didn't, I wasn't thinking about it in this way. That it is a direct parallel. The beginning of the movie, at least for Doris, Ewell, and Junior, you know, they're in the race. Uh, an accident happens that's completely out of Doris's control and Ewell's control that just that's it all of his years of work all of the effort all of his talent drive dedication all of it doesn't matter because this freak accident happens and that's it and he doesn't finish the race and then at the end the sled comes apart it's it has it's completely out of Doris's control and again he you know it impacts his ability to he can't he can't win or he can't get a medal the difference is that he finishes like he crossed because the night before the race, you know, he's having that conversation with Irv and Irv says to him, if you're not enough without a gold medal, you'll never be enough with it. And Doree says, how do I know if I'm enough? And Irv says, when you cross that finish line, you'll know. Mm-hmm. And I just think that is like the heart of the movie is that it's kind of funny. Like the same thing happens at the end, something out of his control costs him the medal. Yeah. The difference is is that he finishes and it's about like what he knows that he's enough without the medal. Yeah. I think also too, because like he has so many more, he goes through, through a lot more and he has so many more supporters in his life at that point. So it's, yeah. it feels a lot more rewarding compared to like, at the beginning when it was just it was just him basically yeah i mean he had like his wife's support but it wasn't really like the same i guess i don't know yeah yeah and yeah like it does parallel the beginning uh not just like with what happens at the race but also just what happens like between the characters like it starts out with um you know irv being like not wanting anything to do with Therese. And then it's them, like, embracing at the end. Yeah. And yeah. then, um, uh, Junior, like, Yule says to Junior at one point, he's like, this doesn't mean I like you. And then at the end, he says it, but, like, in a joking mm. way, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, and, it's, it's interesting. And, of course, there's the moment when, you know, throughout, whenever they crash. Well, because in the beginning, when Sanka's at his derby, he crashes. And... And Doris runs in and says, Sanka, are you dead? And he says, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and this happens, like, again, another time when they crash. He says, Sanka, are you dead? He says, yeah. And then at the very end, Sanka says to Doris, are you dead? And he says, no. And that's when they get out and they carry the sled across 
the finish line. And mm-hmm. oh, it's just, it's just movie magic. That feeling you yeah. get when you watch them pick up the sled and carry it and watch everyone clap for them. You see Junior's dad there with his t-shirt on. Yeah. And there's just like, yeah, like you said, like now Doris has friendship. Um, he definitely had, they have their integrity. They have respect. They have a coach that they love who loves them. Um, yeah, it's just, and I just, I really like, I think as a kid, I was like so mad that they didn't get a medal. Yeah. (laughs) But, but that, that message of like, it's not actually about the medal is important. Yeah. It's friendship, man. (laughs) Friendship. It's, yeah, it's passion, love. Yeah. Yeah. And Sanka uh, still has has his lucky egg at the end. Yeah. (laughs) That's a miracle. Yeah. Apparently, he said in a recent interview that he still has those those eggs or whatever because they were and and they were like made of rubber or something. Yeah. 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 I just thought that was very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this has been Cinemaniac Jack. I'm your host, Jack. Today's guest co-host was Toria. Thanks for having me on. It was so fun. Yeah, no problem. Uh, See you next time. Bye.